0: It's all you, Brennan. All right, here we go. Very excited today to have Riley Dice on our podcast. Dyche. Hey. Thank you for the uh for the call out there. Riley Don't Dyche. worry,
1: the uh I did a rod. Uh insider guys have been saying Dice for like four years now. So listen, <laughs> no, I blame one. them. That's how that's
0: all I've heard your name. I've heard them talking about you, so I will uh I'll blame them, but Just to give a little quick introduction, uh, Riley is from Iowa and has been living in Alaska for about 10 years, and uh, we're interested to hear a little bit about how you got into mushing and um, just going to kind of talk a little bit more about your experience, and uh, I don't know if Sean has anything he wants to add, maybe how you guys met or something. Well, yeah,
2: firstly, the guys ran the Quest 1000 at least, did you do it
1: twice? Uh, no, just once. That did one them,
2: 2018. 2018, you got the Iditarod 2020. Um, you participated in it last year as well. And then, you know, I don't know how many mid-distance races that you've been in, but it's pretty cool because Riley's started his own kennel with just Riley. So it's, like, pretty impressive. For, I remember when I was handling for Alex in 2018 Yukon Quest 1000, you know, to Al- Alex and Riley are going toe to toe, but it's funny because Alex is running Jeff King's like I did a rod champion sled dogs. And then, uh, you know, Riley's just like there neck and neck with Alex the whole race. And I mean, that was must have been like a big kind of like the holy shit. Like, I just pulled this off. I'm like competing against the best sled dogs on planet Earth right now, and I'm hanging in with them. So, you know that was probably the beginning of like where you probably entered into that competitive mindset of like maybe I'll try to you know
1: get get higher yeah. up finishes yeah.
2: yeah
1: for sure it's definitely been uh you know it's a process to build a competitive team you might think you're close early on but uh then you go run <laughs> I did rod or uh, formerly the quest 1000 or something and you can see how far. Away you are, and it takes you know, it's just a big learning curve. It's hard to uh to uh, build a team in three years and then go in and uh, be competitive with even if you have 10 years much experience because those guys that are at the front of I did have been there on their 10th to 15th I did a rod running dogs for 20 years, you know, and just the race itself. I did a rod, I mean, you know, is so so ever changing and complex, you know. Um, I think that uh, the quest is harder to finish, you know, to ju- if you're just running to get to the finish line, but the Iditarod is definitely harder to be competitive in because there's just more, it's easier to finish, but harder to be competitive in, or it's kind of vice versa with a uh, quest. It's harder to just finish, but once you kind of get a feel for it, it's a, it's a smaller field and there's only, you know, three or four guys typically running to really win it. Whereas I did Iditarod, you've got 15 to 20 guys running to win it. Yeah. So it takes a, 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 super a deep minute, field. To, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. And and then I did Iditarod, you're just, it's, you know, three races within a race. I always, you know, you got the Southwest interior and then the coast. And until you've done that a couple of times, it's very hard to be prepared for how to manage each, each one of those races, you know, it's, you're going to see 40 below in the interior and 40 above prior to that in the Alaska range. And then the Yukon could have anywhere in between and then have 70 mile an hour winds on the coast. So it's whereas it's quest, I think is a little easier to game plan for. Mm-hmm. You know, I just plan it's going to be cold.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <The whole day. laughs> I remember listening to Alan Moore at the start line talking to, Alex, who I was handling for he and he and he was just like, I don't care what your what the forecast is, it will be minus forty on Birch Creek. And I was
1: like, Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> and so, so uh yeah, anyway, that's yeah, kind of in my uh, you know, we're building towards being a, a serious competitive I did rod team, but it's definitely a, a learning curve to really getting ready for that.
0: So Riley, I, I want to take it back just a second. Like, uh, I'm curious just to, you know, I know that you were working in Colorado, which kind of how you got exposed to, to the dogs and such, but like, do you have like a moment where you're like, I got a race. I want to do this. Like I'm, I'm
1: hooked. Um, I think, uh, you know, I was hooked on mushing in general running dogs, um, basically as soon as I started running dogs in Colorado in 2010 at a tourism kennel. Um, but then as far as racing goes, you know, I came up and I handled for Matt hall for a year in, uh, 2013, 14. Um, and then, uh, the next winter went on to handle for Ryan Olson. Um, and it was probably that year in twenty thirteen or excuse me, 2015, I ran the copper basin, um, yeah, Copper race in 2015 is probably when I really decided I wanted to to build a competitive team. I was running primarily Ryan's dogs, but I had just uh, a couple of my own, like uh, uh I think I had Neptune, who's kind of the matriarch of a lot of my kennel, was my main leader in that race. And um, we were running a puppy schedule, but I think we finished like 17th or 18th, and that was back in the the days when it was a fifty musher field you know so it Damn. was uh and I think I think I passed like 10 it was like seven teams on that last leg you know oh, and, I mean we we didn't run the minimum rest we were running like probably like 24 to 28 hours of rest on it but it that was just uh you know I had Neptune in single lead and I kind of you know that bond I had with her like they just really turned went Nick Petit and turned on the afterburners mm-hmm. on that last leg and I was like man if I could you know, if I could have a whole team like her that's really that bonded with me versus, you know, running somebody else's yearlings, and I really think we could could do well. And that was just such a, a kind of high point for me was, uh yeah, just burning past all those teams with a, a little single leader that was mine that I'd trained.
2: Yeah, I I recall when I finished Copper Basin, um the Misha Wil- Wilges, I don't know how to pronounce her last yeah. name. Yeah. But uh, she's never really been a competitive musher. But I think if she had a really good strong finish, and I think was she in it this year?
1: Yeah, I think she just fin. I think I saw this like her. She's finished ten copper basins. That's like her tenth consecutive. Yeah, she's good at you know finishing.
2: I love love
1: my. Right.
2: And I mean, but you know, she, she wasn't, I've always kind of seen her in the last place and you know, I was cool to see her kind of in the middle, not in the last place, but right. last like, group. yeah. Yeah. Towards the back and of the
1: pack. Yeah. Anyways, sure.
2: I was in the last group and I was like running t- two year olds and uh, she just, I mean, like we were standing still. She just passed me like <laughs> miles an hour, dude. And I was like <sighs> sitting there going like five miles an hour for the last like 150 miles. Like, I'm doing good. Right. I'm doing a pretty good job. Right. And then like, I didn't even see her coming and she's right by me. I was like,
0: Holy. Fuck. <laughs> and uh,
2: it's like, I, I bet I was just thinking like, man, she's got to be feeling pretty good right now. Like, you know, passing the team. Like, right. And I imagine <laughs> you, know, you just taking down seven teams, one after another, after another, you're just sitting there like,
1: I kind of crushed
2: this. Like, my, my dog management skills are, are pretty good, I guess.
1: Yeah, I remember the the most satisfying part about that was it was um, back when the it wasn't it was a different route than they run now. Same route but different direction. So the yeah, last checkpoint, I, I think the last checkpoint was Mendeltna back then. So you came out um, that off that pipeline road and then you drop onto that last ten miles of ditch trail, which is still the same now going into Glen Allen. But when you're at the top of that pipeline road looking down you can see the high the Glen highway there um and i remember just i could see like i hadn't left like close behind anyone from the last checkpoint but i could see just this huge string of headlights in that ditch and i was like you know it just felt like a a predator chasing down your prey at that point because i'm like man i'm gonna catch all these lights ahead of me you know my dogs are just are just uh rolling at that point so yeah that was yeah exactly that kind of addictive feeling (laughs) yeah that sounds badass um i'm curious like
0: did you take did you do the copper basin with the mindset of like all right i want to i want to um qualify for the iditarod or was like i guess where where did the iditarod the goal of running that like come into things you know as you were getting exposed to everything
1: um yeah ultimately i ran uh Yeah, when I was running my my first basin and two rivers two hundred and all that, I was uh, definitely trying to qualify. Um, My goal was always first, so I was you know the goal was kind of qualify for the quest. Um, So yeah, I think I ran basin twenty, yeah that year with primarily Ryan's dogs in twenty fifteen, and then um, in twenty seventeen when all my dogs, my first two litters were yearlings, I ran it um also as a qualifier and then I'd run so I was yeah at that point trying to qualify for for the quest that was really I really wanted to you know run the quest prior to I did rod because uh, I had a feeling it wasn't gonna potentially be around as long <laughs> you know I, I kind of felt yeah. like that that quest thousand days might be numbered and I had handled you know the full quest 1000 for matt hall and for ryan olson and then again for matt hall i think all before i ran it so i i was kind of ingratiated like in the the quest community already i knew i knew the checkpoints and i knew the regular volunteers and kind of the vet team from uh you know being along the whole race route which is something that's really cool about the quest 1000 um for a a musher learning at least is it's really cool to handle on it because you have that ability to see a dog team 900 miles in, you know, I did a rod. You can't otherwise, if you never, if you, if you're a rookie to a thousand mile race, you'll never have any idea what a dog team, you know, looks like, what a strong team looks at, like at 900 miles versus what a, a you know, more fatigue team looks like at 900 miles. So that was a cool thing about the, the quest thousand is you can watch dogs at every checkpoint all the way to the finish line. And, for how a team should look towards the end of a race which is a cool thing so yeah i ran those as uh definitely as qualifiers wow. um uh yeah my first first couple go-arounds in basin and
2: um i just gotta say like the big difference right the quest and the I did iditarod if you know there might be some listeners that are a little confused all 12 of you and they yeah. might be thinking, look, yeah, there's handlers for the Quest 1000. So you can drive along to almost every checkpoint on the Yukon Quest 1000. And it's required as a musher to provide a handler. And a, and they're going to drive their truck to each of these checkpoints. And they drive like thousands of miles. Like it might be like over 2,500 miles of driving. I
1: think it's 3,000 round yeah. trip.
2: Three thousand miles of driving, man. Through the if you count the the trip back home, I think it's three thousand. Right, <laughs> and so these guys are meeting at, at the checkpoints um, because there's not because uh, they're on the road, so you can and it's, and uh, it's hard to get. You know, it's probably been talked about. Can they get volunteers instead of having to spend three thousand miles of fuel and logistics and all that? But for for now, that's how it is. And then I did a ride. You run straight into the bush, so you're like you can't have anyone supporting your team. And by supporting, it's literally just cleaning up the straw, scooping up some poop, like building up the tent. Uh There's a 36 hour rest that you can have your team make a shelter for your dogs Uh or for, is it for, yeah, you can have a open shelter for your yeah,
0: dogs. Yeah. 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 Open and, face, uh, I
2: mean. So it's, it's a little different. And then there's half the amount of checkpoints. So half the amount of resupply points, which is a, you know, you got to plan for a lot of these, you know camp out legs of the race and yeah it was it was cool for me that was my first time getting to see you know dogs 500 miles into a race with 500 to go and you're like because I always I only ever have seen dogs that are you know at that point in my career in 2018 I'd only ever seen dogs that are so fucking jazzed to go that you're literally fearing for your life they're so fast and you're constantly and then you get to see these dogs at 500 and it's like oh they're like in the zone they're in travel mode right and they're they're not you know they're they're happy to run they're happy to rest you know um if you're doing a good job so yeah the quest is a sick like i wish it was there was more stoke on it like you know everyone talks about did all the time but the quest is sick and then i'm looking at the the, this year they don't have the 1000 mile race they have the 550 mile race which the partially was basically was Partially, there were some organizational and administrative issues, but also COVID kind of was the icing on the cake because this is an international race that starts and or ends in Fairbanks and goes to Whitehorse and it goes and alternates from one direction to the other. And this year, since the COVID started, we couldn't make it international. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Riley. Did you not have um, somebody like waiting for you at the first checkpoint when you mush into Canada?
1: Yeah. 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 You have like
2: to checking your passport and shit.
1: Yeah. You have uh, a yeah, passport. You get pre-checked prior to the race. You send in like fax your passport and everything in the, to the quests, and they, they send that to customs and kind of pre. So you're pre-approved for entry because you're not passing it anywhere where they could stop you. So you have to be pre-approved to, mm. to enter legally. So you're pre-approved. And then once you get into Dawson, you know there's a customs agent like waiting just to see your passport um so you have to keep that passport in your sled and it's not a an intensive check by any means they just glance at it right and and then like and then you know you do do, it's kind of right with the gear check as you pull into the uh dawson city checkpoint so um yeah you do get you do get checked um but yeah that uh like sean said that uh two year of covid of the borders being closed in canada um, kind of made it so it couldn't happen and then that you know that little break was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back because of the the quest side and Yukon side and America side have kind of been uh, disagreeing on little things for probably decades um, but they've always you know kept it roll the ball rolling but after a two-year break you know both sides kind of wanted to see see some changes and race structure and organization and they couldn't quite uh come to an agreement on how everything should should happen um for this year at least but i think there's uh optimism that uh and t- uh constructive conversation between the two boards um for 2024 so hopefully yeah. we have a fingers thousand crossed. next year
2: fingers crossed for that man because yeah that that race is is uh I think a lot of people that are running the 550 this year, the Yukon Quest 550 is is the Alaska half of the Yukon Quest for this year. Uh The best they can do while keeping it in Alaska. And uh, 550 is right over that threshold. Like for mid-distance races, and Bradley, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but there's just kind of this threshold that happens at maybe right around 400 miles where they kind of, the dogs click into long distance mode because in a mid distance yeah. race you're kind of you kind of a lot of people are empty the tank and then you get to the finish line well and I did a ride. you can't do that you got to kind of empty the tank halfway and then kind of build it back up and do this little dance and that's what's so cool about a 1000 mile race is that you know if you do a good job and you have you know maybe a little bit of luck you can finish with a sled dog team that's stronger than when you started with you know yeah that's, that's unique to a thousand mile yeah. race because they get into that travel mode and so this yeah, fire like you know
1: that. is going to be like that yeah exactly yeah they'll see that uh that metabolic shift at 350 to 400 miles like you said that's the the biggest factor you know is that metabolism and the dog switching over to where they're uh breaking down fat and absorbing it directly instead of converting it into carbohydrates um which makes them much, much more efficient engines and boosts up their appetite. So yeah, you'll see, you'll see what we call, like you said, the change um, in them where they uh, go into travel mode and have that metabolic shift in that 550. Whereas you, like you said, you won't see that in a a 300. So um, it'll be, it'll be cool because yeah, you'll have to, especially with route out there running now um, it'll have to be approached just like you're going a thousand miles. You cannot go hard, early or push early in this race with the the route that it's taking is uh probably the the hardest race anyone could ever structure anywhere you know <laughs> um God. so it'll you have to be conservative early in this year's race to keep them keep them charging towards their end yeah, I haven't checked out the the trail yet of that
2: race. Is it like they're obviously they're going over? There's massive peaks that happen, not peaks, but you know, there's are passes that are pretty epic on the quest. The the uh, eagle Eagle Summit and Rosebud are always most most people experience some kind of drama going up and down those things. But
1: <laughs> yeah, well, and that's the thing now is you know the the route has changed. Because um, they can no longer go. Originally, it's supposed to go Fairbanks to Tok, so basically the Quest Trail to Eagle, and then over American Summit, and then rather than going down into the Forty Mile Canyon and following that to the Yukon like they would on the Thousand, they just stay on the Taylor Highway after American Summit and go all the way to Tok. But the Yukon River from Circle to Eagle is impassable yeah. due to jumble ice, so they are now doing an out and back. So they're going out to Circle, back to Two Rivers, and then at Two Rivers, going on to the Flood Control Plane, and which goes on to the Chena River. Um, so going on to the Chena River, and then following the Chena to the Tanana, and running all the way to Nanana and back to Fairbanks for the finish. Jeez, so right, you're this is amazing they're taking it you're gonna we're gonna run the hardest stretch of the yukon quest trail twice um over rosebud and eagle summits and then going back over them again and then you know the ultimate kicker after that is (laughs) they still got to have enough gas to do 160 river miles um to go to Nanana and back to fairbanks so um it is it's not you're not going to see a lot of teams going fast early and if they are you won't they won't be probably at the finish line. Um, it's gonna, yeah, because you you know the, those double the summits That's is gonna so be nice. tough, and then and then you have river miles. So if you can manage a team correctly and consider, Oh. Nope.
0: come back to us, Riley. I think we may have uh, lost you may for a second. Lost
2: he'll come back at some point but dude that sounds like the gnarliest kind of you know michael okay going into right, it. oh okay we lost you there riley for about 15 seconds i and this is this this is just want to address this this is looking riley lives a little bit out in the sticks away from fairbanks what are you like 30 minutes from fairbanks and yeah yeah so you this is part of this is makes it more of an authentic experience if you're not slightly cutting out sometimes then what are we even doing you know
1: but yeah, yeah, Elon, Elon. I've got Starlink now, and Elon doesn't quite have it, have it together up here Come yet. On, Elon. So, so we're still uh, cutting out occasionally, but it's it's better than than what I had prior, which was just uh, very slow AT and T data. Um, so we're we're improving, but it's can... to be... it's totally solid. But... <laughs> Well,
2: all right. Well, hope that we'll get, it'll get a little bit better, but it's it, you are cutting out a good
0: bit. And I while you're while you're uh, one sec. Yep, no yeah, worries. So mm-hmm. Sean, yep, Sean. I have a couple questions that I want to ask related to some things that Riley just mentioned. Obviously, yeah. what he just mentioned is that it's a crazy ass route and it could mm-hmm. be one of the hardest races that we've ever seen, right? But he talks about jumble ice and like obviously
1: Okay, how are we doing? I, I shut off video and just went to sell data.
2: Okay, that's great. Can you that's hear fine. me? Yep, I
0: can hear you. Perfect.
1: Uh-huh. All right. All right. Yeah. Hopefully this holds.
0: Anyway, go ahead. Brennan? So my question was, Riley, you were talking about jumble ice. And, uh, you know, I'm the brother that lives back home in Atlanta, Georgia, that doesn't know shit about this. So can you just break that down real quick for a second for me?
1: Um, So the Yukon is such a big river that, you know, it obviously starts to freeze, but they're so flowing. And so those ice chunks that are forming, you know, continue to move with the river flow um and when those will catch a bend when the river gets to a bend those uh ice blocks will kind of uh you know traffic jam essentially um but there's no stop in the current so they're going to traffic jam and then continually be kind of pushed and rammed into each other um so what it becomes is literally this big jumble and it's not you know like two foot thick or one foot thick chunks of ice uh, getting pushed upward. It's like four through two, three foot thick, like huge chunks, uh, like, you know, multiple feet thick. that are like 10 feet tall getting pushed vertically into the air. So it's kind of like this alien landscape of these giant spires of river ice that have uh, traffic jammed and been pushed upward. So like when we mushed through it in 2018, you know, they, the, Uh, Had chainsawed out a pathway. They what they do that section of river always jumbles, so they they chainsaw out. Spend a lot of time chainsawing out enough chunks to make a passable route for the sleds to get through. Um, And this year, I guess it's just exceptionally bad, and there's there's no way that um, they are going to be able to chainsaw enough of it out, so it's just impassable. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Okay. It,
0: it, it's sounds essentially like it's not the terrain is not passable uh, consistently, essentially. Yeah.
2: Anytime you're dealing with the river, it's so dynamic. And, uh, you know, it's not like as simple It's just a lake that just freezes. And there you go. It's like sometimes <laughs> if you have a great winter, you, you know, by some people's standards, great winter. Uh, it's really cold really early in the winter and the river freezes nice and great and flat. And, um, but with the, well, Yukon river is like, I might be like 2000 miles long or something. It's got like the most water of any river up here. So like, even if it freezes a foot or two thick, you know, that's still not enough and it'll blow these pieces of ice into this giant pile of chaos. uh, And you know sometimes you can wiggle your way around it and sometimes
0: you can't
1: Gotcha. yeah that was you know the big thing and like in 2018 when I ran the the quest thousand I'd never you hear about jumble ice and they talk about jumble ice and all the meetings but in my head I always imagined like you know just chunks you know reasonable size chunks of ice um kind of pushed up in a lumpy kind of you know heaved here and there but in reality, like I remember just mushing past ones that were like eight to ten feet tall, like spiring beside me. And you're doing like 90 degree turns around them and it's like 50 below. So you feel like if you bang into one, everything in your body is just going to shatter. Um, <laughs> so it's pretty uh, definitely pretty, pretty eye opening experience, like seeing how big jumble from the Yukon can be. Um, so anyway, yeah, that has made it impassable this year. Gotcha.
0: Gotcha. Thank you for clearing that up. And the, <laughs> the, the, the other question I had was like uh, uh, river miles, just like you allude to that kind of being different than maybe uh land miles or other terrain miles. Just what, what is it? What's, I guess that means you're going at a slower pace and you know, what is, um, what exactly does that mean?
1: It's, it's the same, you know, a thing that you see, in the you in the Iditarod when teams hit the Yukon or the coast um it's it's just not as stimulating for the dogs you know once you get out on the Tanana maybe not so much the China because it's a smaller river so there's still a good bit of uh stimulation around but once you get out on the Tanana which is a, a pretty good sized river and dogs are already 400 miles into the race 420 30 miles into the race at that point um you're gonna uh it's just for the dog from the dog's perspective it's it's uh not overly stimulating you know there's not trees that they're winding around not hills and bumps they're just on a big wide river with you know a hundred yards or more of of frozen ice and flat white on each side of them so you know your speed is deceptive because you don't have a lot of kind of like being on the coast on a dead road you don't have a whole lot of perspective or perception around you of how close things are so it feels like even if you're moving you know nine miles an hour it feels like you're not moving that quick and the dogs have that same that same kind of mental thought they're like you know so it's you know your speeds typically you'll see on the yukon speeds drop a bit same with the sea ice on the coast and you know the Tamna is by no means the yukon in size but it's it's big enough that it once dogs are 400 plus miles in, it's gonna it's going to dip speed a little. And uh, if you push your team too hard, it's going to be hard to, to move at a good speed, just because of that, that lack of excitement of being in on a four foot wide trail with trees on either side and turns and, you know, squirrels yeah. and animals and smells.
2: <laughs> right. I I would like it from a dog, sled dogs perspective to the human equivalent of running on a treadmill
1: yep totally that's a good
2: good analogy it's just like you're just like well done okay, sean
1: well I'm done thank
0: you that. for painting that picture that yeah. was <laughs> well done yeah man. running on
1: a treadmill in a in a, in a room with white walls
0: <laughs> yes
1: yeah so yeah it'll be uh it'll be interesting you know a uh, uh, really i think cool race um but uh tough for Teams who are based out of Two Rivers, um, now you know they'll have to go past their kennels. Oof,
2: yeah, this is, all right. We're now we're gonna we're go, going into another realm here because Renan, you don't know this maybe yet, but what Riley's referring to is you have this people that live next to the race trails in any race, whether it's the Cusco Three Hundred, people that live in Bethel or in Antioch or Antioch or whatever. Or people that live in Two Rivers, and the race starts in Fairbanks, and Two Rivers is 50 miles from Fairbanks. And you know, if you there was, I remember, uh, I can't remember the name of someone that was in your race, Riley, that's scratched about at mile 900 because she had to go past her kennel or their dog's home, and it was there was like I think, they were European. I don't remember. Was
1: it was it Claudia Wicker?
2: Yes, yes. I'm
1: gonna go to Claudia, maybe. Yeah. But...
2: And so, you know, the dogs, they see home and they're like, all right, let's head home. It's like, it takes a, sm- imagine if you're going on a run and you're training for a marathon and you're on like, 20 miles into your marathon, let's say you're running this race and you passed your driveway, <laughs> you passed the driveway to your house. You're like, I could just go in there. I could put my legs up, you know, turn on the Australian Open and I'm showing gem- I'm <laughs> And then and no, but no, you got to go past your house for another hundred miles or whatever, and come back to your house in a couple of days. You know, it's just it takes a really mentally strong dog, and it, you know, and it starts with it starts with good lead dogs. But there's a contagious aspect to it. Of you know, you're 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 not going to have all twelve dogs that are like. Oh so yeah, sir, sure, coach. We'll just drove right past the driveway, not a problem at all. There's gonna be one or two, the young ones that are like, Coach, it's this way, I'm telling you. And the it takes really strong leaders to be like, nah, brah, we gotta continue past yeah. the house. We got a mission, Riley. And that's
1: that's uh, you know, that's it's always been a big factor with the quest. You know, Sonny Lindner would only run the quest from White Horse or Fairbanks finishing in Whitehorse. He would to run the other direction because his property is on baseline on the Yukon Quest Trail. Um Ally and Allen, they would train um specifically for going past their kennel. They would go, you know, to uh truck out to um two rivers checkpoint or Angel Creek area near Tina Hot Springs and they would mush to the finish line in fair and when weeks. and
2: when you say you know, ali, that way they're when you say ali oh, and ali, I'm talking ali zirkle alan moore ali zirkle won the yukon quest in 2000 alan moore has won the yukon quest three times yep
1: three and is
2: and they are husband and wife and they have trained their dogs specifically to past their home at the tail end of a long several hundred mile training run and be
1: yeah because you know yeah from the dog's perspective like sean said it's like running past your house but a dog doesn't necessarily understand that you're only got a few more miles to go they're like well that's the finish line right our food bowl our dog house like <laughs> why are we still going
2: right let's look at the quest uh real quick while we're cuz cuz we're going to leave the quest here in a second but while we're talking about it and we have all this quest momentum i'm looking 15, at the sign up yeah 15 here. total right is that what you're seeing as well i'm seeing 15 we got Brent Sass and Riley Dyke and that reminds me of something Brennan bookmark it so we got Brent Sass Riley we've got you know Amanda Otto with the Jeff King dogs and i know she's going to try and be competitive cuz that's her big race of the year you got Matt Hall, UConn Quest 1000 champion. You got Deke Nackton, born, getting born. I'll get there one day. Hold on, hold on.
0: Riley, do you know how to say his la- name? We've, <laughs> we've had this discussion. Before. Um, I
1: think it might be Noctoborgen.
0: Noctaborgan. Okay, okay I Noctoborgen.
1: Think, I'm not sure. No, I, I don't know. I'd have to have Deke correct me for sure. But and We'll get him I on the podcast, and,
0: and then he'll
2: have to say it himself. How about that? And then we got Wade Mars coming from freaking Wisconsin all the way up here to run this race and run Iditarod eventually. Jen Labar is running her rookie Iditarod, and then Cody Straith a real threat to be a top three finisher, you know. And then Nick Batie, of course, is going to send it. Ramy Smith, he's fucking top ten quest or Iditarod several times, you know. This is a super small but very competitive race, and I'm like. And now that you tell me about how gnarly the trail is, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm pumped right now for this race. This is exciting.
1: Yeah, it, it'll be really exciting. I think it's, it's really cool to have guys like Wade and Ramy in there. Um, Wade is a, a big Iditarod name who I always thought would do well in the quest. Um, just his, his dog management style on races is, is conducive to running the quest. You know, um, he's always, really rained back early and then really strong on the coast um and it's you know and it's fourth place finishes you know it's kind of akin to dallas cv style same with ramey um ramey you never know he's in the race and then all of a sudden he's top five and i did a rod like dude um, that's so, that's so, so true <laughs> yeah like yeah he's like you never you never even think about like Ramy, and then it's like oh he's he's third or he's ninth or he's, you know, he's, if you look at his resume, it's probably one of the best in Iditarod history as far as, you know, I don't know if he's ever been out of the top 20 and a lot of those are top 15 to top 10. I know he's runner up in 2011 and has had some other top five. So yeah, he's, he's one and he's uh it's, it's like you said, it's going to be cold inevitably and, and that gets to people, but um it's not going to get to ramey you know this the smith brothers are two of the toughest the dog daughters out there so uh, all right
2: yeah sim smith and he's won a few races and um you keep you'll keep us grounded brendan i hope so and i i want to also say that you know riley you've trained out of brent sass's property uh a couple of uh, maybe at least one season if not two and you've worked with Brent a little bit and just tell me about a little bit about that experience
1: yeah I was actually training out a trailbreaker, breaker uh, one of David Munson's old basically David and Susan Butcher's old handler property um so I was about six miles from Brent but you might as well out there we're the only two people there so um yeah we were neighbors for the year and uh Brent and I got to know each other really well and um I don't know. In the future, I like to go spend October and November out there because it's the toughest, best training in the world, probably as far as diversity goes. Um, trails are narrow and difficult, and um, it's it's a lot of variation in terrain for the dogs. Um, and yeah, I got to know Brent super well, and those that's a big reason why Brent is doing as well as he's doing. And he'll be the first to tell excuse me tell you that is the trail access in Eureka. But the thing is that he's the one that makes access because, you know, he, he moved out there. He started going out there in 2007, I think maybe it was his first like, time, like winter he spent there. And then in, like 2013 is when he I think for, no, it's 2013. He spent his first winter there and yeah, he started off at the same property I was at uh, training Susan and David's dogs and, um, or david's dogs i guess at that point and uh then uh eventually went on to buy a homestead from ed and willow salter which is uh down the off one of the main trails there and he bought that in i don't know 15 or 16 and um you know he essentially though in that 10-year period he had to open up trails that hadn't been open since the 90s you know when rick and susan were at their peak um they were both out there joey reddington the sprint musher was out there. You had this huge dog community and uh, Rick had an army of handlers. Susan had an army of handlers and they put in and developed and maintained a a massive trail system. But then from like 2000 or 19, mid 1990s um, or early thousands all the way till like 2013, you know, nobody was there. So Brent has spent like 10 years reopening all those trails and maintaining them and I think the work that he has to do to do all that physically makes him tougher than a lot of mushers. Um and then the trails are are technical and difficult and that makes his dogs tougher than a lot of other mushers' dogs. So it's kind of a combination and that's why you're seeing all the success from from Brent. But the the trail diversity there kind of you know the resume speaks for itself. You have five I did rod wins from Rick. Four from Susan. You know, people think of Susan a lot of times as their property on the Tina River, but her winning years, that was that was post peak racing years that she moved to to Fairbanks. Damn, dude. Dude, they were in Eureka. That's crazy, dude. You just
2: yeah. kind of blew my mind right there. <laughs>
1: like, so they have 10, ten Iditarod odd wins have come from the Eureka Trails. Ten
2: I did or odd wins have come for where from where Brent Sass lives, where Susan Butcher lived, and where Rick Swenson is the only guy to win five Iditarods that are from Anchorage to or from that end in Nome, right? He's Technically, what would you say, Riley? Technically, of the at, traditional, above. yeah,
1: yeah. He's the only one with five wins without an asterisk beside one of them.
2: All right, there you go. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> you know, if Dallas gets another win, but but like let's say you know if Dallas gets another win, he is the great, the all time, the goat. But but right now, you still got to go with Rick, who's won it in three decades, which I also I think Dallas has because he did 2021, all the 2000s. Also, Jeff King, too, possibly. Nope, he fourth, four I did I for Jeff. No, but no. in
0: three different decades, do you know in I've the, the no. 90s?
1: Mm-hmm. No, um, well, he's won in two decades, Jeff has the 90s and then 2000. He won 2000, the 19- 19.
2: 1989 Yukon quest Yukon Quest, yeah
1: but he's one that I did her out in the yeah, the 90s and the the mid what was it 2007 2006 or not seven but I uh, know uh yeah six or five one of those yeah uh, 2006. 2006 yeah Bruce
2: Susan butcher was yeah. alive that was the year she passed but it was later in the year and I uh Jeff always on his tours would joke about how he showed up in 2006 or yeah, 2006, maybe it was 2005, but it's part of the tour. So, you know, you got to make it the best it can be. And he showed up in 2006 with a seat on his sled because most of mushing from the seventies and from, you know, before racing in the, you know, thousands of years ago, there was never a seat on the sled, and he, he put a seat on the sled and, you know, he, at this point he's what, you know, in his late forties, maybe fifth, maybe yeah, late forties. And he shows up with a seat on a sled and they're like, Jeff, dude, you totally, <laughs> you kidding me right now, dude, you guys showed up here with a seat to the rod, And then he fucking won, you know? So, uh, and so I remember this uh, video I've seen of, I don't know where of Susan, I, uh, you know, having retired and, uh, and her ill, she's ill and she's is looking at Jeff and his seat and just kind of like, what the heck? Maybe I could still be <laughs> I could be sitting.
1: Yeah. It's uh, definitely been embraced technology. That's for sure. And I, I think, you know, the biggest thing is just that weight dispersion, you know, is it's, it's obviously good for your back to be able to sit down and then, and oh. then it also spreads the weight out instead of over all eight or nine feet of your runners instead of just the front four feet or five feet. Yeah, so it makes pulling easier, you know. And I, I think once everyone got done laughing at Jeff for sitting, maybe that's that's the point that they're like, "Oh, you can go a mile an hour faster if my straw and crap is on the back."
0: Mm. Brilliant. Love it. All right, so a couple things I wanna, you know, I wanna follow up on on the comment on Ramey, right? So I've got his I did Rami Smith. Uh, yeah, I've got his I did a rod uh history here pulled up. Uh, can you guys guess his worst ever finish?
1: Twentieth,
0: uh, twenty first, maybe. Dude, Who you goes? hit it right. Yeah, right. Riley, you got it. Twenty first is his worst. His worst one ever, <laughs> which is literally his first. I did ride, and doing a quick little count: one, four, seven, nine. It looks like there's eleven top ten finishes. There's one, two, three, four, four top five finishes. You know, Rami joins this. The Raimi joins this
2: long list of mushers. And that just like go about their business and then they show up to the race and they get their seventh place finish, and they walk away and they continue on with their lives. You know, yeah. I don't know that Ramy has like any social media or website or funding or whatever. And then I don't know. There's there's a there's other mushers I can't come up with off the top of my head, but it's just so cool that people are just doing that.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, he uh lives his life. You don't see him a lot in the race. You know, he's all business. Doesn't do a lot of chit-chatting or socializing along the race. Um yeah, it's uh he is an interesting uh yeah, true true competitive dog musher cuz yeah, like you said, he doesn't pay attention to much of anything else. Um <clears throat> Riley,
0: I wanted to follow up with you also on, you know, you're talking about Brent and kind of how he has that upper hand right now with like his location and Eureka and the trails there and all of that. I'm wondering, like, do you feel like he's kind of like the top dog right now? Um, Or if not, like who are, is, is, is he like kind of in his own little world? Is he maybe up there with a few different guys? Like how, how is, What's your view on that? Am I? I'm just curious.
1: Um. Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, maybe last weekend uh, opened some uh, eyes to that Nick Petit is still relevant. I know a lot of people had counted him out, but I mean, I still got to have Brent as your favorite to win. Um, pretty much any race he enters with his A team. You know, this Cusco won't be his A team. That'll be his B team, um, If you know. If, uh, and then, uh, <clears throat> but the Quest, he's, he's definitely the favorite to win that. He's built for a race like the Quest. His dogs are built for a race like the Quest. He is at heart uh, through and through a Quest musher. So I think it's going to be very hard for people to keep up with him in the Quest. Um, and yeah, I think it's probably one of the the best dog team. I would have said it was the best dog team in the world. Um, it's probably gotta be about the best dog team in the world right now. It's just, you know, Nick is always going to be there. I myself had kind of thought maybe his, uh, his prime had passed and this new team that he has couldn't pull off the stuff that his old team could, but he kind of proved everybody wrong on that, that basin race. Um, but yeah, I mean, Brent his dogs it's amazing what's so amazing about brent and his mentality and his connection with those dogs is usually when you get a team that trains a lot of miles like brent does his dogs have probably close to double the miles of most of the teams in any race they enter you know his dog's probably got three thousand miles on him right now um which is much more than most kennels um and usually when you train that many miles your dogs kind of gear down in speed you know, they get used to traveling and they're going to move at you know, nine miles an hour steady, but they're not going to be 11 mile an hour mid distance dogs, but Brandt's dogs do go 11 still. Like they still book it. They have all these miles and they're still quick on their feet. He has very, very few athletic injuries. So I think the world kind of, you know, the big thing to take note of is just how tough that dog team is like they they travel a lot and they don't get athletic injuries and they move fast and those things and they have a driver that knows how to feed them and and manage them so that makes them very very difficult to beat. That, in, dude, in racing
2: winter. Oh my god, I've been wondering. So like this kind of is a nice segue into the Copper Basin. Perfect. It's like someone like you and Jeff Dieter and Richie Beatty and Cody Straith who have clearly like. Clearly have some badass dogs that can totally compete to win the the Copper Basin, and and then you just went ahead and answered my question before I even asked it. Is like what is it that makes someone like Nick Petit or uh, Brand SASS, you know, do the same, do, keep up the competitive schedule, whereas you you decided all right, you know what, I got the Quest five fifty, it's gonna be like the hardest. Freaking not. I mean, it might be in some ways harder than the Iditarod. And oh, yeah, absolutely. Coming up, yeah. yeah. And then you've got the Iditarod <laughs> going up and you're like, dude, you know what? I don't need to be battle testing these guys right now. And that's probably the same case with Richie Beatty, same case with Cody. Sh- or with Cody's you know maybe I know they're not running Rod, but maybe they have a 550 team I'm not sure but a lot of these teams at scratch they're just like you know what we got bigger fish to fry coming this winter but yeah it's just kind of curious so does Brent and so does Nick they have bigger fish to fry but they have kept their teams trucking through these mid-distance races and I'm just kind of wondering you know what separates them from everyone else that is started out on that competitive level that was keeping you were keeping up with them and you know and then they are they are they the ones that are just willing to hey you know we'll just we will battle test our dogs or is it that they've got battle tested in training or is it the genetics i
1: I think a lot of it is you can afford to battle test your dogs when you have uh, you know eight to fourteen more dogs that are almost equal trained up at home mm, you know Where you uh, like in my case i have right now i i don't know, i have like 14 and two of those are yearlings and my main team we're kind of you know i have a very good team but it's a it's very much a you know a, over half the team are two-year-olds and and then the other half are are uh, seven-year-olds who are kind of right at the on their way out of their prime you know so you kind of got to be a little more delicate um, so it's kind of a, a transition year where I've got this really good young group coming up, but the, the older group guiding them are, you know, you start to see seven, eight year old dogs that have run four or 5,000 mile races. And, you know, you, you can't battle test them as hard. Cause they, you know, just right. like people, they start getting, you know, dogs that have never been in, you know, had a soreness in their career. All of a sudden they, you know, they start getting sore wrists at seven, eight. So, um, and and those older dogs don't need to frankly be that battle tested because they they have the muscle memory, just like a human runner, you know. They don't they mentally have what it takes to go a thousand miles. You already know that. So why why beat them up physically on a, a rough trail like the basin? Um so that's a big part of it, I think. Cause and Cody was kind of the same boat as me. I don't want to speak for him, but he uh, <laughs> I had just scratched right when I like I decided before I got to Myers, I was like there's no way I'm gonna like have a team left for the quest if I I have any more little bumps or bruises, so I'm I'm scratching once I pull into this checkpoint. and uh, which I think confused the checkers because I pulled in. my dogs like screaming and I like can't keep them stopped and can't keep oh the hook God. in. And I'm like, nope, don't do a gear check. We're going to the truck, you know. And they're like, what, really? I'm like, I can't even. I'm like, yeah. That is this so. This is the time to shut it down, you know. And they're like, volunteers are holding the sled, you know, I'm <laughs> to like get my tracker off for them. And then, uh, and then uh, I'm in the my in. We went inside and got some food at Myers Lake, and we heard I was sitting by some race judges, and somebody had come in and said Cody's coming in to scratch you know, and he'd been kind of right. We'd been right by each other as far as like we ran into sourdough. Like I was like a few minutes behind him into sourdough. And, and then I took, you know, two hours more rest, but our, our run times were similar coming in. And so we were kind of right there in that top five mix at the time once you adjusted rest. Um, and somebody's like, oh, Cody's coming into scratch. So he came in and I was like, hey, Cody, how's it going? And he didn't know I'd scratch. So he's like, oh, not great. You know, and I, I didn't want to be like, yeah me either i don't worry i also scratched so i just waited to hear him say like i'm scratching and i was like don't worry man i just scratched too and he's like really and i was like yeah I was like i'm not gonna have a team left for the 550 and he's like yeah me either he's like i gotta save save oh, yeah. some for the next one here so
2: yeah dude i mean that's just so cool to like i don't know man i i, I just think scratching like i I'm so competitive, and like it's gonna something that's gonna eat away at me for the rest of my life, me having scratched for my Diderot. And like when I see someone, how the way that you approached it, and the way that Cody Straith approached it, and the way that Richie Beattie has approached it, and the way that you know all these teams that pull away, it's just like, yeah, dude, it's just a silly fucking race. It's like, dude, yeah, right. you know, like chill out, you know. and. And, uh, it was just like, I don't know, man, I, I just, the stigma that I think it feels like I'm my own worst critic in reality, you guys are just like, yeah, dude, it's whatever. We're going to run a race in a couple of weeks. Let's like, let's focus on that, you know? And it's not a big deal. And you've scratched with a team that was totally, I mean, not even close, not even, not even a conversation, your team, 100% is could finish this race in like the top 10 but you're like you know what if that means i might have to be babying them for the next couple weeks and giving them that r&r and you know it was like why don't we just stop here you see it coming you know what's coming right yeah if you don't scratch here you know what's going to happen you know you're going to have some dogs that need a couple weeks off then you got to build them back up and then you got to show the right race the start line of this race the 550 the hardest fucking race of the season arguably and you have a team that's just recovering whereas you right. could stop now and you could have a team that's fucking ready to go to battle
1: you know yeah totally and and a lot of it's luck too you know i mean i mean you see what last year jesse home scratched at I think Myers maybe sourdough, um, somewhere in that same same stretch, and you know he was like, "Yeah, no, I beat up a bunch of my dogs and I uh, went too hard, a little bit too hard, and I got to save him." And then he goes on and gets third, and I did a rod, you know. So that was kind of on my mind too. Like you know, just because you scratch in the basin doesn't mean you're not going to have a good shit. A good, uh, you this know, it like- doesn't
2: the first this is the first like fucking welcome to mushing race of the year like you get you know connect 200 was last weekend whatever you know it's 200 miles it's flat it's the swamps you're good you come here you show the copper basin it's the tough. they they claim it it is the toughest 300 mile race but you know it's questionable because you got the 18 hour mando rest so that's a little different but look The point is this is a this is a fucking intense race and you know yeah i think you guys i think this is great i think it's great you're gonna yeah you got who third
0: place who who, who got third place
1: uh in the basin
0: in the basin yeah
1: jesse 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 and then matt
0: yeah yep oh right okay yeah so so go ahead brendan yeah i have a couple questions just like about the the race like uh what what were some teams that were standing out to you? I mean, obviously you mentioned Nick and and Brent one and two, but like, uh, what do what were your what's your assessment of the other folks in the race and Hedda. You know, Yeah, like thoughts Hedda. on Hedda. Uh,
1: that team was incredible. That team was like in sourdough. That team looked like they had gone like ten miles out of the <laughs> truck. Like I was like they pulled in and I was parked <laughs> in my and I was just like. You know, and Dallas is, like, talking to Mitch about them. And Mitch is like, wow, they look good. And Dallas is like, yeah, they do look good. They don't look like they've been stressed at all. Da-da-da-da-da. And they're, like, you know, doing their analytics on each dog together. And and I'm just, like, sitting there, like, that's, you know, like, basically jaw dropped, like, trying not to pay attention to them because then you feel bad about your team. And then you realize, like, that's, that's a you know, one of the best teams in the world. It just doesn't happen to be signed up for Iditarod this year. You know, and like Dallas is there kind of coaching and, and mentoring uh Hedda on feeding and stuff as they as she went and at each checkpoint, which is kind of cool about the base. And you can have someone you know, your handler there talking to you. Um, so it's cool on my part, I got to listen to Dallas, you know, chatting with her and giving her advice because that's advice that I can surely use also. Like, but yeah, that team was like wow, you know, they were, like, very clearly being held back and, like, you know, run conservative the way Dallas kind of runs and trains. You know, he never really opens them up. Obviously, you know a lot more about that than I do. Um, But I was like, you know, they were just so spunky and fresh and eating everything. Um, Similar to Jesse's team, I thought Jesse's team really stood out um, coming in, you know, tails wagging, perky, eating – everything they just didn't seem stressed at all by what he was asking them to do it was just like an easy walk in the park so if they look you know it would show is very telling for how gonna look and i did a rod like if he runs on the same and i did a rod they're gonna probably look like that if they look like that by the yukon then everybody better look out you know
2: dude i mean let me just say credit to hedda I, we talked about this on the last pod. Oh, maybe we didn't. I don't know. Because we pressed record. We didn't press record. But, like, I'm, I met her last week before the race. In our, and she's like, yeah, you know, we're going to come in. You know, our schedule has us at 1 p.m. And I'm like, good luck. You know, you're 21. You know, what do you get? And then, she, well, she's ran fucking the, the uh, Finmark 300 or whatever with eight dogs. Right? So she knows how to take care wow. her- of you start with an eight dog. It's an eight dog race. She's run all her races. She's run her eight dog teams, and so she comes in here with this twelve dog team, and this badass experience with a badass mentor and badass dogs. And what do you He thinks is gonna happen? And yeah, uh,
1: exactly. Like she she wasn't pushing herself either, which goes a long ways. The dogs weren't. Yeah, this wasn't
2: even because of. that. Yeah.
0: I mean that. I so
1: watch, wait, so, watch out
2: for
0: Hedda. Watch oh, out! Uh, so what is it? Is it Kelly that's running the his team in the Iditarod?
2: Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. that's right. I figured Kelly would have. So, is, a this, that. This is,
0: is this this uh, is this? Uh, there potential there for Kelly to, if if Heda's doing this with the little experience that she has? Well, she does have experience, but bunch of experience. Um,
1: maybe the the tough thing is obviously Kelly has run Iditarod with Dallas's dogs in the past, but. Hedda's training those dogs right like every day she's out with them you know she's doing 200 mile series on the highway and and whatever else like you can sit and watch her story on Instagram so she's she's running them every so they're gonna perform for her you know it's hard to just jump on the runners and I don't know how much maybe Kelly's going out and running them some you know but it's it's yeah it's hard to to jump right on and do well, but I mean Kelly's not a, a Rena teamer by uh, any means. You nope. know he has a lot of years of running his own kennel and in running Iditarod teams. So yeah, it definitely. You know he have got whatever. It, Kelly's probably run what half a dozen Iditarods. Um, yeah. And so yeah, that's definitely the based on how that team looks, it's definitely uh, he could do very well <laughs> with it if he if he manages them on the the schedule that Dallas gives him.
2: And that's the thing. Dallas is going to give him a schedule. And yeah, you're right, though, dude. You're right. Hedda, and I don't know her last name, but yeah, she is training and feeding and running and caring and massaging and all the things every day, all day, every day. And Kelly is coming in and spending probably 50% of those days with the dogs at this point. Okay. You know, um, I mean, is, is, are, are, is this something, you know, or are you speculating on that? Show? No, I'm not. I'm not speculating. Um, I've talked to I, I'm friends with some of the handlers there. And and uh, he's he's not. Yeah. I mean, he only lives an hour drive away. It's like, I mean, it's right. It's like, come on. You know, he said uh, he shows up. OK, so, so- you know, it, it, but it's different. different. She's but like different. living on, it she's is different.
0: living on the property and he's it is different.
2: And then who was it that I was talking to? I think it was Eddie and he was saying it's interesting because you have a lot of people coming and going with these dogs at the CV kennels. And it really is, I know that it's different between Mitch and Dallas whatever, but like it is different. But at the same time there's a lot of people that come through each kennel. That's, that, that is something that they have in common. And so the dogs are used to that change in power that change in who's your alpha who's your musher um there there is a level of they're not just like they were born and raised with Hedda and then they're gonna see Kelly for the first time be like who the fuck is this
1: right yeah they're they'll the way their system is is they'll perform for about anyone who steps on that slide because they just go and do their job and (laughs) uh that's how it is so yeah Kelly I think it's definitely a uh, somebody to watch out for and I did Rod with that dog team um, I don't think he'd be making a run at like Brent and Nick but he's definitely a top no. 10 yeah, top 10 contender you know uh, to, to punch in because that team just looks incredible um, Jesse I think is really going to have a good year Matt Hall's team looked very good um, you know very relaxed also so yeah, there's gonna be a lot of good uh they did teams I think this year, despite the small field, a lot of high quality yeah, teams. It almost
2: it, it's really quality field and Matt Hall, you know, he won the Yukon quest and g- give me the year, Riley. Uh sixteen.
1: Sixteen? Uh seventeen? Yeah. Maybe 17, actually. Yeah, 17. sorry. I feel like 17.
2: it's going to be 17.
1: No, no, no. It was – uh, I remember it. Yeah, it and the I was, was Champion in was 2017.
2: Was 17. 17? Yeah. Oh,
1: okay.
2: Because I, because I came into it in the fall of 16 into Tim
1: Right.
2: And I remember it. Yep,
1: but. yep. Yeah. Pretty um, – So, yeah, Matt. And, you know, Matt has bought half of yours main adult team. Like he bought yours main leaders last oh, year, really? so I didn't um, that. you know. So he's you know he had a very nice team last year. He was um whatever he was. What was he was he eleventh or fifteenth somewhere in there? He's top fifteen finish, and I did a rod, and then he just bought a. Uh, your was eleventh, I guess somehow for the fifteenth. Um, yeah. but he just bought yours main leaders to kind of super chart. So I think yeah, he'll have a very good. Good I did a rod team this year, better than it was a little ramped up from last year. So,
2: damn, um. all right, Matt Hall, we'll be watching him. And we, you know, I've always, ever since he won the quest, you're thinking, all right, time to fucking prove, you know, that was the big thing with Lance Mackey, RIP, is that he won the quest a couple times and he had never won the I did a ride. And they always said that if you finish, what is it? Um, you know 10th or 15th in the Iditarod that's good enough to win the quest and then I Uh, Lance Lance Mackey you know he comes out he wins the quest and they're like yeah cute that's cute and then he comes in he wins the Iditarod so it was four uh, quests in a row four Iditarods in a row and two of them overlap and uh yeah and so I I And, you know, when you see someone like Matt Hall or Brent Sass winning and now you see someone like Brent Sass, who now has won three quests, won thousands, won the Iditarod, has finished top three in the Iditarod a couple times. Then you got Matt Hall, who's been knocking out the door. It hasn't quite worked out since 2017 quest win. Maybe he had a generational change in his dogs. Now he's coming in this year and he's adopted some of your awesome, the 2019 I did ride winner 18 um, I think 18 18 champ 19 runner up 18 champ 19 runner up you know so you know he's got a good system with dogs now Matt Hall's the musher and he's mixing those incredible line of dogs with um his already experienced dogs and yeah and that's a good this this is a year for him this is a year for him for to do something
1: Yep. Yeah, I think uh, you could definitely see a really, you know, that team he brought to Iditarod last year, I don't think was uh, exceptionally experienced at 1,000-mile races. I think it was a relatively young team, kind of new to 2,000. So, you know, Matt got him a, a very respectable finish last year. And like you said, he's kind of charged him up with those awesome dogs. And um, you might see him really – really coming on strong we were down there buying dogs at the same time so
2: what? Well, who's the number one guy that or woman to get all right how about this give me like three mushers that could take down Brent. go
1: uh nick jesse and then uh Nick
2: Jesse, home. Dick Batie, Jesse Holmes.
1: Yeah, Jesse Holmes, and uh, um, I think Matt seems going to be good. I don't know if it's quite. Give me, yeah, on right, How door. about five?
2: So you don't have to, you don't have to him and Paul between. All right, so you got Matt Hall in there. You got Nick Batie. You got
1: here. Let me. Uh, I gotta pull up my. my I was gonna throw out here. some
0: names for you, Riley. Um, yeah, go ahead. We got <laughs> Pete Kaiser in it. Uh, Dan Caduce. Matt Thaler, uh, um, Wade I Mars.
1: Wade is
0: Jesse. I have no Royer. idea what
1: kind of oh, yeah, Jesse's back. Um, Ryan it's hard Reddington, to know the guys are. Been... Yeah, I think that your big, your big ones are Jesse, Nick, and uh, Pete. I know Pete was hesitant to sign up this year, but he was hesitant to sign up last year, and his team had, I think, uh he was talking to me in McGrath, and I remember he said, I got, he's like, yeah, and he was really kind of holding back from where you'd expect Pete Kaiser to be at that point, and he was like, yeah, I got, he's like, well, I got a bunch of two-year-olds in my team. He's like, but I got eight dogs that can do anything. He's like, but I don't want to be down to eight dogs yet, and then, like, and then it was like classic Pete, like, all of a sudden he hits the coast, and it was like, and he finishes fifth or whatever, um, with like nine dogs. So he was right on, uh, like so. Pete, I mean, any race, pete's in he's a factor to win. And he's very, he's one who over the years, the last five years, has been very good at integrating young dogs into that main race team. He's very every time he runs Cusco, he puts a bunch of two year old. It's like half the team are two year olds. So he's always bringing up. Showing these young, these two year olds, this really tough race so that when it comes to Diderod time, they've got some serious mental mental gumption, you know, they can get it done. Yeah. So he, even if he's like, yeah, I might take this year off, mm-hmm. like he still, you know, was fifth last year with a, a relatively young dog team. Um, so Pete's right there, Travis is right there, probably. Um, you know, Travis Beals, um, and I say Travis. When I went What's to,
2: that? Uh, when I went to the connect 200, he was, you know, I mean, you see his results on that, but also it just sounded, he said it sounded like he was had kind of a younger, gener, uh younger generation coming up on this run. That doesn't mean that between, you know, that's so early. That's January 7th and you got March 4th. Right. So like, a lot of you you do some battle testing in that range of time so you might have a team that's all right let's take it easy in the connect 200 all right we're gonna do this in the you know whatever other 300 and then by the time they get to iditarod maybe he's built up a a team that can do that
1: are you talking about travis yeah 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 for sure he's uh you know he's got a good dog program and a team yeah so i'd say you know nick jesse Pete are right there. Dan Caduce, um, also right there. I think his team's pretty young. They're not quite, you know, they're not close to aging out at least. So they're probably kind of right in their prime, um, finished with all 14 last year. So I, and he is one that, you know, you forget about like when I'm sitting here trying to come up with names, I'm like not even thinking about Dan. And then he was just fourth place with 14 dogs last year. Um, because they you know him and jody kind of just do their thing out there in the middle of nowhere on the the highway and uh go about their business kind of like ramey smith and
0: yes but
1: he's definitely one who uh who is one to watch out for so yeah i think that uh wade is wade was always you know you just never know with wade but you can't count him out um
0: you if I'd say, him... i
1: just haven't seen him race for a couple of years you know you saw him in the lower 48 races but he wasn't in any you know it's hard to gauge him against the, these uh bigger iditarod teams but i mean he was smoking those lower 48 or you know finishing top three and all those races and doing really well okay um, so i got i got a
0: couple more iditarod related questions for this year um who would you consider to be like a dark horse or have you already said that name in, in, in some of the ones you've. Oh, I
1: mean, Eddie Burke is going to be a, a, you know, I think, I think myself and Eddie could be the dark horses, but, but, you know, Eddie's Eddie's a dark horse, but not, you know, he's got Aaron Burmeister's main race team, you know, but the thing is Eddie's been training that group since they were, were little um, and spent a ton of time with them and he's done very well in big races like you know i knew going into that knick that i was like there's a good chance he's gonna win because he you know he's not a rookie <laughs> like if you are top three in the Kobuck and and respectable and uh what was he in the cusco fifth or yeah,
2: he finished, something he like said that. he
1: finished in under
2: 41 hours
1: yeah yeah so that's that's somebody who not only knows how to to stand on the runners where they can manage a dog team and they know how to race. Like, so Eddie, Eddie, I'd expect to, you know, he's the, obviously the, I think the glaring favorite for rookie of the year. Um,
2: and next uh, and,
1: and a top and a top 10 finish probably potentially, you know, but like you said, like it's generally, I wouldn't say it put real big expectations on rookies and I did rug cause it's so complex, but the Kobuck is a, a, Damn hard race, and he did very well in that. So i I think he'll adapt just fine to Iditarod.
0: And and you don't think so? We had him on our last podcast. Um, and you don't think that he's gonna struggle like transitioning from you know his longest race is four fifty to a to a thousand mile race.
1: I I think he would if he was on his own, but he has Tony Browning and Aaron to give him a schedule and coach him. Okay. And when you got, you know, those guys and a nutrition program. Aaron's nutrition program is he knows more about nutrition than almost anyone in the sport and he's teaching Eddie that. So Eddie's going to have a team that's well fueled the whole race cuz he's been taught by Aaron how to properly feed them and what to feed them. And us uh, and I, you know, I don't know for sure but I would assume that Aaron's going to help him write a schedule you know a patient schedule him and tony so that that's kind of the the part where i say he won't struggle as much as a lot of rookies do on transitioning into a thousand as he has those those mentors sure and uh but you never know i don't who knows how he does when he's tired you know it's it's hard to say well you know it's funny because like uh
0: he mentioned that you know he was like, well, the race, I forget which race he was talking about. Maybe it's the Kobuck. He's like, you know, it was 55 hours, I think is what his quote was. And he's like, in the grand scheme of things, it's like, you know, suck it up. And I was just thinking, I'm like, yeah, but apply that to, you know, the course of a thousand mile race. Like, I don't know. At some point there's, I mean, I know you guys are all sucking it up, but like there, there is a fine line, you know, especially if you haven't yeah. done it, especially if you haven't done it
1: hmm so, yeah for sure it's uh you know there's so many variables with storms and things that can mentally frazzle you you're gonna get unlucky and have to carry a dog through the burn all the way to Nikolai or you know stuff like that hauling dogs on a long long leg can really mentally mess with musher and and team so it's learning how to not get frazzled by things like that I guess yeah, he, you he never know, like, or, or manage a sickness, manage a virus going through the dog team. Um, That's something that, you know, if you get a bug on the trail, it takes some practice to figure out.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, there was a couple of rookies I remember met, seeing on the trail that they'd say something along the lines of, like, yeah, dude, I'm going to the next checkpoint, I'm scratching. And then the next thing you know, they're finishing, like, 12 hours before I do. You know, it's like – it's just like this, you know – roller coaster ride of emotions and uh what was the other thing god i I had another thing i wanted to add it but go ahead brennan
0: oh so uh my other question was and we've talked about eddie in terms of being like a leading candidate for rookie of the year who else would you put in that category and if it helps i can read off uh, a couple of names for you Um,
1: um the first one that pops to mind for me is bridget um, okay you know a ton of dog experience and her Alan, dad Alan Moore and you know stepmom Allie Zirkle to uh, go to as a resource and who she's learned from Um, and she's definitely determined to get there um, I'm not sure what her her schedule or plans are but she's definitely in my mind somebody that could push for it. Um
2: Bailey Vitello has been training up in Indiana with uh Eddie and He's did a really respectable um copper basin race this weekend and uh clearly he's yeah. driving, he's got some badass Dal CB dogs. So
1: Yeah. Um I don't know. I yeah, yeah, maybe Bailey. Um I saw him on that race a little um managed. I, I think that maybe team management um early in the race is gonna be yeah. be a learning curve After, for him yeah he doesn't After have for a the thousand or
2: hanging over him like you know Yeah, like, yeah
1: exactly. you know just seeing uh you know speeds he ran on one run versus another in the basin i would i would say he will have to rein himself in pretty hard early in that race yeah um and i did a rod to really be a candidate for rookie of the year but could be um Katie's in it, um, she's going to have a very, Katie Jo Dieter is going to have a very good, steadily steadily trained, um, you know, Dieter dog team that's more than capable of being a top 15 to top 10, you know, they have a big pool of adult dogs, and Jeff's running the Cusco for his big race, and outside of that, like, she's got, you know, it's not a, a puppy team by any means, so um, I'm not sure where she's at. Mentally on her her goals for it, but she has the team that could be uh, relative could be competitive. I think. Um, and uh, go ahead. yeah, I was gonna
0: say so. <clears throat> you know, you kind of were talking about uh, your expectations coming up. Uh, you you're you're doing the the quest five fifty and the Iditarod. You're not. Is that are those the only two left that? you have are you doing any others
1: no that's yeah that's it um yeah we've got i mean it's only only like two weeks i guess till the 550 it's crazy um how quick that comes Uh, So, let me just yeah well that
2: um like you know firstly we were running low on time here and uh i just want to ask like you know you have people. We've talked about a lot of these mushers, or these like famous mushers that have like new mushers running their dogs or whatever. And you're 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 a really unique situation. You know, I compare I could compare you to someone like Lev Schwartz or um, that t- you're just out there like doing your thing. You're training your dogs. You're funding it. Like, how do you fund this? You know, the we if you if Dude, you how do
0: you build a kennel and not do do ride someone else to do it.
1: Um, uh, through a lot of, uh, anxiety and stress. <laughs> <laughs> uh, those, those are the two key factors, you know, you don't have a, a parent in the sport supplying you with, uh, with, uh, funding or a giant rig and dogs and etc. and taking you out to lease somewhere, you know, um, uh, or, or, uh a musher a big name kennel whose dogs you are running and and that was one of the things I just never wanted to do it with you know I handled for two years for very competent and respected and knowledgeable mushers Matt Hall and Ryan Olson and then Sven Haltman um, but I I never wanted to run really race with their dogs I wanted to do it with my dogs um, and kind of do it my on my own and fully on my own you know it's still an accomplishment to do it with other people's dogs but I just wanted it to be my whole process so um it's it's gotten easier as you go you know you get more sponsorship opportunity and things more financially stable but it's you know I'm I'm a little more stable than I I used to be financially as far as um being able to to fund it all without uh racking up too much credit card debt but uh it definitely uh has has taken some time to get more stable financially. Like when I ran the quest, I had like, yeah, I was, I was a shoestring as shoestring can get like, you know, maxing out credit cards to buy a set of dog coats for the race and, you know, stuff like that. Um, so it's every year gets a little more stable. You know, I've worked, I primarily work in tourism in the summer. Um, Alaska Icefield expeditions was my primary funder. For as far as working all summer and then getting some sponsorship in the form of dog food and things from them and then but pretty much all of it's out of pocket I worked full time for Jeff and Katie Joe for three or four years across the road from me here in the winter as well you know three to four days a week, while training for the quest and things you know I worked four days a week that year. Damn. uh for them and, and trained a team so a lot of stress wow. <laughs> you know uh, to to pull that off and and it takes a lot to not get burnt out you know and I'm finally at the point now where I you know I don't know I had uh, one of my major sponsors um my biggest sponsor gave me a a really nice check at the start line of rod last year because they were uh one of them was i did my rider And I was like, wow, awesome. And I was all excited. And then right after the race, instead of like putting that into like personal luxury as I went and spent the whole check at yours house, buying (laughs) a group of six, two or one year olds from him. (laughs) So I, uh, you gotta be fully committed. If you want to do it and really do it right, you really have to be able to like fully commit to it, I think is the key. And that's kind of where I'm at, but I, Funded through that. Um, I uh, will see more publicly later, but I'm going to be giving uh taking over the Cartwright operation at ITC headquarters this summer, um, which is going to be a nice, nice no, oh. change from going. did
2: at at the Iditarod headquarters, you're going to be giving a yeah.
1: course. Yep, yep. Sick. So that'll be that. You know, May through September, that'll be a big. That'll be. Yeah, for sure. I'll, so I'm excited to be down in the valley more in the summer, but that that'll be, uh, you know, my primary as far as that's kind of what I do with Alaska Icefield now, except I don't have to live on a glacier, you know, to make the same amount of money. Now I can be on the ground in Matsu Valley and uh, have a little bit more of a nine to five life. Um, but previous years I've spent, you know, April through till September on a on a glacier and that gets old. Yeah, do. Um, so that well, gets real old.
0: And real quick, so like if you're on a glacier for that long, who's taking care of the dogs? How do you, how do you work that? Uh, out
1: They're with me on the glacier. They're they're the oh, ones you? uh running to make the money for us. Ah, okay. <laughs> giving the rides, yeah, dog ride, sled rides. So yeah, they. It'll be fun to not move down to Southeast Alaska, and then dog sponsors. You know, for anyone. I'm uh they're they're a major major part you know most the majority of my kennel are sponsored and that's that's been a huge change and that was something that makes you know when I jumped from quest I did I think I had like five hundred dollars in sponsorship when I ran the Yukon quest <laughs> and the rest is out yeah. of pocket um and then uh when I ran the Iditarod all of a sudden it's just like know, it's it's crazy how much more recognition you get from general public yeah. like fans yeah, you know my so oh. that made a big difference
2: <laughs> yeah that's awesome and yeah i did a rod brings a lot more fans and I, I we're gonna wrap things up here and i just want you to give it, yourself a chance to say your kennel name and if your website and if anybody wants to help riley out um moving forward because this man is just kind of funding and i mean it's all riley you know and he's got a couple of fans that help him out and if you want to be one more of them, go ahead, Riley.
1: Uh, yeah, Dark Horse Racing Kennel is my kennel name. My website's darkhorsesleddogs.com. Um, I'm kind of doing some construction on the dog bios on there right now, but um, it's still there and functioning. And then uh, uh, Instagram's Dark Horse Sled Dogs. Facebook is Dark Horse Racing Kennel. Someday I'll get them all changed to the same same name but uh <laughs> for now that's it dark horse racing kennel and dark horse awesome man
0: well thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today and uh, you know we had a great time chatting with you i have so many more questions honestly but uh you know we'll have to save that i guess for another one another round or something but um john go ahead yeah, dude, I was, I, I,
2: it's, I feel like we could go for four hours, but I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> quit while we're ahead, and, and uh, maybe we can link up after I did a ride or something. For sure. Ride thanks, on. guys. Thanks. Yeah, thanks
1: for having me.